0: Recorded live from the Third Rock from an entirely different sun, it's Transformation Thursday. I am Amy Stevens, and my pronouns are she, her, as usual.
1: And I'm Penny Sterling, and my pronouns are she, her. Our guest this week is one of the most well-known names in Rochester, Adam Chodak. He's here to talk about his favorite film stock, silver halide processing, and how embarrassing it is that they spelled his name wrong on that tall building downtown.
0: Penny, they didn't spell his name wrong on the building.
1: You mean, you mean his name's really Adam Kodak?
0: No, it's Adam Chodak, the anchor, managing editor for WROC's Evening News. He's here to talk to us about the elections we just had, both nationally and locally, and what it's like to try and run a newsroom in this post-truth
1: era. Oh, so I... I shouldn't ask him what my ISO should be if I'm shooting a portrait with medium DOF at f5.6 at 1/120th one of a second?
0: Um, no, you shouldn't. And by the way, it's ISO 200. And we'll be right back with our non-film-based discussion with Adam right after our traditional music swell and fade up! <laughs>
1: Let's talk about change, Amy.
0: Okay, let me see. It looks like I've got three quarters, a nickel, a Canadian loonie, and a few British tenors from when I was in London, because I'm an
1: international comedian. No, not that change. Change is in transformation. The topic of Transformation Thursday.
0: Oh yeah, that. Well, we're doing this podcast to highlight how much things change and how quickly they do it in society today. Everything changes and change isn't good or bad. It just is.
1: The more we realize that change is just the natural progression of things, the better off we'll be. Now, let's talk about change. Didn't we just do that? No, no, not the last one. The first one. The coins. Money. About how people can give us some of theirs so that we can continue talking about ours. Are you just trying to get people to go to our Patreon page
0: to support this podcast so that we can continue our exploration of what it means to live in a rapidly changing world? Because although this is a labor of Love, we do have expenses, and by going to TransformationThursday.com, they can help ensure that we can continue to be bringing this fun and insightful commentary on the world today, plus get exclusive patrons only content.
1: Um, if I say yes, can we get on to our next segment? Oh, God, I hope so. Okay, then, TransformationThursday.com. Also, can you break a 20 for me? Sure, I can get that to you in euros. Okay, now you're just showing off. Welcome back to Transformation Thursday. I'm Penny Sterling, and my pronouns are she, her.
0: And I'm Amy Stevens, and my pronouns are she, her. Our guest today is Rochester's own Adam Chodak. Adam's been the managing editor and anchor at News 8 since 2015.
1: Yeah, but he was born and raised here before doing the traditional TV news travel around the country thing. Not every reporter gets to come home, let alone get the position Adam's in at News 8. Adam's joining us to give us a newscaster's perspective on whatever the hell just happened. So first question, Adam, have you ever attended a press conference at a landscaping business next to an adult bookstore?
2: Uh, not next to an adult bookstore. Um, no, no, I, I have not. I have not. That would have been a first for me. I would have thoroughly enjoyed that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was. It was. I was watching this on Twitter. I was watching this unfold in real time. And I thought people were, were, were lying about this when I saw the I thought it was like maybe a spoof Four Seasons Hotel account saying no, the press conference is not here. It's at a landscaping place. Um, and, and, and this is me editorializing. But for me, it's kind of a fitting end to the the last, uh, last administration. But what I would like, one of the things I would like to talk about is what it's, you know, it, it feels to me like, um, and I've heard it's called the post truth era. Uh, what is it like to work in a newsroom where Uh, sometimes what is spoken as truth by political parties is quite frankly lying and not being able to call it a lie.
2: So first I'll set this out is that when you work in local news, you certainly have a close eye on national politics, but it's not like we're there in the press conferences. And our main focus is going to be on local politics, local economics, feature stories, things like that. So i do have at least the benefit of not having to be there on a daily basis, having to deal with it. I do have friends who are in that room and I text with them and basically just say I'm so sorry. I, I honestly, it, it's been uh, such a flood uh, of falsehoods uh, that I, I don't know how you actually handle it. I think that we had a system in place, how to call out uh, untruths. And I think that when folks flood the zone, I think that our system has been tested on how we handle this stuff. And I don't know if anyone's come up with a complete answer at this point. Obviously, lies can come from both Democrats and Republicans, those trying to exploit our system and how we deal with things. We call it the the fairness system, right? So if Penny has a view on a particular issue and she says, here's the facts, and then Amy comes out and says, no, this is how it is, we do have a tendency to do the both sides. Here's Penny's side, here's Amy's side. And for the most part, that can work. There are times when Penny might be right. There are situations where the facts are just on one person's side. Um, at the same time, there's always that default, that fallback, and I think that that's going to be tested both at the national level and the local level at this point.
1: Yeah, it seems to be doing that an awful lot, uh, and there are like local events that are going on right now. We are, in some ways, we are local, but in, you know, recently with. Uh, with uh, the uh, uh, Daniel Prude, is that right? I'm I'm really so I'm trying to remember which choked out black person we had here in Rochester was Daniel Prude, right? Um, Yeah, Yeah,
2: that was the one in March and then we discovered.
1: Um, And seriously, I'm I'm not joking. I'm really bad with names. So that's why I'm saying that I want to make sure I got it right. But all of a sudden we were in the national um, national spotlight and we had to deal with a whole bunch of uh, things where the police department was saying one thing and uh, there's video out there that's showing something else entirely and there you are as a newscaster having to deal with a local that is also national and and how how difficult is that are there you know what are do you ever have discussions in the newsroom saying okay we have to call this a lie Because it seems to be a lie.
2: Right. So, so huge. Uh, Whenever you have a big topic like this and one that's as charged as this one, we have to have lots of conversations, not just about uh, whether we call something a lie, but what do we show? When do we show it? I mean, the video of Daniel Prude in that final moment there is unbelievably hard for everyone to watch, but particularly people in the black community. So we had to decide almost like the 9-11 stuff. When do we stop showing this? So there's many discussions when it comes to lying, it does come down to intent. In order to lie, you have to intend to lie. And for us to make that accusation that someone's lying, we then have to truly know that that person is intending to lie. And that's tough because you have to get into the mind of where they are. And so it's very difficult to take that step from our position. At the same time, it's not difficult to say, this person says without evidence or this person falsely claims. And I, I put a lot of trust in the viewer. If they want to determine that person's lying. They can do that. They don't necessarily me- need me to get inside that person's head and say, this person's lying. I think me saying this person says without evidence or, contrary to what we saw on the video you know they can they can take that for what it's worth and it wasn't just the Daniel prude incident itself it was what people were saying about how they handled the case afterwards stories kept changing you had people saying that's not what she said to me um, and again I'm not in a position to say this person's lying or not but I'm more than happy to put their contradictory statement or their rebuttal out there
0: And what I hear you saying in there too, Adam, is, and we spoke about this before we got rolling, is lying or not being forthright, that's not a left-right issue. It's kind of a bipartisan issue, right?
2: It it can be. I mean, clearly we have a Republican in the national White House administration right now, and it's an objective statement to say that there have been numerous falsehoods to come out of the White House. You could argue if you supported the president, oh, it was justified and look at all the lies coming from the Democrats and all that, That that's fine and good, but I, that's an objective statement. And the only reason I say that Democrats can lie too, is that we as journalists don't take our eye off the ball. We're not here if we're doing our jobs right to trounce Republicans or pounce on them, should they lie? Because our, our main objective here is truth. And if we do that, someone either as a Democrat or posing as a Democrat could exploit that um that inattention on our part and spread lies from the Democratic side, and suddenly we're left out and you know, I think then we didn't do our job.
1: That's that, that, well that that's an incredibly fine line that you have to, to, to walk there. and you got to walk it pretty much all the time, especially um, uh, in, in this era, do you get any um, like accusations of being fake news here on the local on the local level? Do you ever get, Calls from that or or claims about being fake news.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We got an email in the newsroom today, actually, and I get it on Twitter. And, you know, it's, it's interesting how all of that started. And I try to remind people of the history of that. I think it was in 2014, 2015, when President Trump was really getting going. We did see a lot of false stories out on Facebook. And now we know, according to our intelligence community, that a lot of that came from Russia. And you might remember they were flagging it, and that's where the term fake news came from, is because we, as an industry, started to say, folks, the stuff that you're sharing is truly fake. Not just in that it was got it, it was like wrong and there was an error. It was intended to be fake. It was built to be fake. And then what happened was, as President Trump co-opted that term, turned it around on us and any story that he didn't like he called fake news and he successfully did that. And people forgot that the whole reason we started using that term was for Russian propaganda, which is okay. unfortunate because now people use that in order to turn a blind eye to what our industry has to report. And we get the accusation all the time. You know, when I've, I've been out to cover rallies and, and mind you, I, I do wanna, again, I, I don't mean to be this both sideism type of guy, but when I was in Colorado, uh, reporting on something on the steps of the Capitol in Denver, Michael Moore was, uh, visiting and he was speaking to a crowd and I was there with the local reporters and he's trying to you know, fire up the folks in front of him. And he points to us and he's like, and the, you know, the lying media, you know, sold us the Iraq war. And this was like 2008 and we're local media. I'm like, dude, I was in college when that was happening. And I'm like, that's unfair. But I I truly believe that, again, left or right, because both sides can be exploited, as we've seen, is that in order to promote your truth, your side of things, you really do have to either silence the truth tellers, which is what a lot of us are, or convince your followers that what we're saying is false. So then they can only depend on your narrative. Because if everybody else is spreading lies, then you become the source of truth. And how amazing is that? Because you can tell them anything you want, and they'll believe it. You have to either shut us up or get us to be unbelievable. Uh, There are only two options there. We won't stop doing our job, but people, especially in this day and age in social media, it's so easy to turn, uh, turn a blind eye to us, go into your bubble. And they take advantage of that. And fake news is just, unfortunately, this is not a new thing. This is what a lot of people have done over the history of our our society, which is basically to find some way to shut us up or to make their followers ignore us.
0: You, you mentioned in there the social media effect of everything. But, you know, I've heard a lot of conjecture in the last week about the issue of the right has this concise message. And I would say, yeah, they do. But I would also say they own AM radio Um, When it comes from a news talk perspective, they own those right wing websites. They own that social media space and they have been doing that and building that for almost 30 years. So the, and what I look on the left is they don't have that siloed structure that there's still so many voices. So how do, how do, how do we, I don't, I'm not, I'm fighting for the right question in there, but how do you? But we're all listening to our own different sources. So how do we come together and find some truth again as a society?
2: Yeah, it's it's going to be very difficult. And I think there, there are some people who think that, oh, well, if the right has AM radio and they have Fox News and they have this outlet and that outlet, you know, the left should create their own and whether that's MSNBC or the nation or whatnot, like I, I don't. I do think there's a place for partisan outlets, but I, I hope that we don't go down this road where we just say, oh, well, everybody is gonna have an opinion, so let's just have left and right outlets. I do think that there are, you know, if you want to call, you know, the New York Times, even the Wall Street Journal, take away the opinion page, um, you know, a- a NBC, CBS, they might have reporters that have uh, a bent to them, but I've worked with a lot of these people, and individually, their main goal is truth. And so I think it's—I think what you're asking for is already there. I think it has to be, perhaps, if there has to be changes made in order to secure that type of objective image, so be it. At the same time, I think that there has to be a, a publicity campaign, if you will, where we try hard to convince people that what they've been told about us and these mainstream media outlets is false, and that we, we either don't as a whole have an agenda, and if there are shortcomings, we're there to fix them. Talk to us, don't just ignore us. Say, oh, they're MSM, I'm going to my bubble. Help us, reach out to me if I made a mistake or I didn't cover a story in a way that you thought was right, reach out. I, I'm more than willing to listen and the next time around, I'm more than happy to approach it differently if I see the point that you're making.
0: Well, and the thing that I hear from different outlets, you know, I heard this yesterday on a local radio talk show that um, one of our prior guests, one of your friends hosts, and he was gone yesterday. But, you know, the, the left and, you know, um, oh, gosh, I'm just, the, it sounds like a, not the left. Penny, edit this out. <laughs> it just sounds like to a lot of me, like a lot of A lot of news outlets and the polls and all these things that are being vilified right now, they're honestly looking at themselves and saying, what did we do wrong? What can we do better? What can can we improve on to regain credibility? And I don't hear that from the other side. I just hear attack after attack after attack. Yeah, I think
2: in recent years, you know, we call them the postmortems. Like afterwards, we look back and say, "Okay, what did we do wrong? Uh, and the whole reason to do that is so you don't repeat the mistakes, so you can pick up votes where you, uh, you know, in the case of politicians, but in the media too, like, okay, what did we do wrong and self-reflection? Um, you know, one has to wonder if that's happening behind closed doors and they're trying to put up a front like everything was fine, but behind closed doors, they're like, uh-oh, because they might see the train coming. And look, you know, the whole reason we have these post-mortems, whether we're in the polling industry or the media industry or into politics is because we don't want to fail in the future. And so if they don't want to have that moment of self-reflection, if that really isn't happening, then they're doing that at their own risk. They might succeed in four years or two years or a generation from now, but we've learned as individuals that if we don't try to better ourselves and course correct, we could end up tripping over the same rock again. So we'll see what happens if they want to go, if they want to go about that, if they're truly not self-reflecting, that's their own choice. But I think it's, I think it's an interesting observation on your part. Uh, I do wonder though, if in the background, things are happening that we're not seeing, I don't know, but you're right. Out, out in the open pollsters and you know, the media, I almost wonder if sometimes we're too quick to say, Oh man, we really messed up. Like, Hey, let's just, let's just wait a second here. You'll get the polling on Tuesday or on Tuesday night, Wednesday, was like, you know, like the polling industry on fire. But now we're seeing in certain states that we thought they had gotten it so wrong. Maybe they didn't get it as wrong as we thought.
0: The polling goes back to like, like what we're talking about, though, in Florida. You know, there was a plus or minus on that of three point two percent. So and the, and the race came in plus three for Trump in Florida. So it's still even within that, that was in the margin of error, plus or minus, but yet nobody wants to talk about that. Nobody wants to hear it. So do the so do the polls really need to be beat up over that? And so I think we, maybe we are a little quick on that.
2: Yeah. And I think, look, I, I think even being off, that was an average that was off and you had Quinnipiac and some other polls that were way off. Um, and I think that they probably should be doing some self-reflection. At the same time, I think it's more like, OK, how do we reach the people that we didn't reach before? We obviously saw um, a significant number of Latinos in, um, the Hispanic vote surged a little bit for Trump in Florida, especially Miami-Dade with the Cuban Americans, you know, were they not reaching out to them because of language barriers? Uh, were there those who are just online and they didn't get into the digital area enough? I think, I think that's a fine analysis to, to make and see how they can try and reach different groups better in the future. But I think to lambaste the industry as a whole is probably a bit premature.
1: OK, so we're talking about, you know, postmortems and and the way things are done uh, and what did we do wrong? Um, my personal opinion is that this year, at least, um, uh, the, the broadcast media, the news gathering organizations as a whole uh, did a, did far fewer wrong things than they did in the past. And I just was wondering if, if that's how it feels to you, like this race to call a winner, to be the first to call something uh, it did not seem to be as prevalent and seemed to be a lot more caution in, in, in calling things. And uh, than there had been in, in past elections, even in the 2018 election is, is that what it felt like to you?
2: Yeah. And I think obviously the 2016 kind of gave us a little PTSD there where we, we went into it with a certain idea and a trust in the polls that was perhaps I'm, I'm happy to trust the polls to a certain extent, but I think we overtrusted them in 2016. And then in this in this, uh, in this uh, presidential election, I think we went in a little bit more hesitant. I don't know exactly what formula the different uh, data crunchers use for the different networks, but there was clearly a hesitation. And I think at the end, too, they were open about it. John King on CNN. Even Fox News was was pretty open about the fact that when you have the president acknowledging that he likely won't concede, they probably want to make sure that they have their ducks in a row and they make a call like in Fox's case, Nevada, because they had already call, called Arizona. If they called Nevada, it's over. They have to call Biden the winner. So I think that they probably are like let's take that little extra step. Like how can, it can't hurt um, if we just are a little bit more cautious. Yeah.
1: Uh, Did you see anything like that on a local level? Were there any, I I was trying to look at the races, it didn't seem like any of the local races where there was uh, even a need to do that. Did did that, was that how you saw it?
2: Yeah, but that that wasn't necessarily because of 2016, that was because of the number of absentee ballots,
1: just the change in the system.
2: When you have nearly 100,000 absentee ballots come in, a quarter of the vote absentee, they're not even opening those up until November 16th those are still sitting in their envelopes. So it it was more uh, mathematical. And we know that a vast majority of the absentee were likely Democrats because we know the party affiliation of the absentee uh, ballots. And I think it was like two to one uh, Democrat versus Republican. So when Joe Morelli was ahead by 10 points, I think it was 55, 45%. Yes, we don't have the absentee ballots in, but we knew where this was going you know if it had been flipped if it had been Mitris over morelli then we probably even though in, in years past a 10-point lead we would have called that we probably would have hesitated knowing the makeup of the absentee ballots it would have created what we term now as the red mirage um, that's out there there are a couple like the uh 56th senate district with jeremy cooney and mike barry i don't think we've officially called that yet because it's within one percent and we do have all those absentee ballots yes in all likelihood they're going to go a vast majority towards Cooney, and he'll win. But this is a different year with the pandemic and everything. I think a little bit of hesitation and caution on our part is is pretty justified.
1: Yeah, the the, the pandemic is causing caution. It's it's almost like caution is being forced on us with a pandemic. How does that work? As a this is not about the this is just me as a uh, a, a former news person uh, wondering uh, how is that like when when everyone was isolating and, and you know, like the essential job stuff and you have to report uh, i have some friends who work in other newsrooms who were able to do their jobs from home but you don't have a, a studio at home how how did that work for you guys and it had to come in the studio and do stuff how how dangerous and, and and tricky did it feel to to work that way
2: so we definitely segmented pretty quickly we sent reporters and photogs out into the field and they either worked from their house, their cars, we were able to secure some empty office space for them. Um, we had a couple other players uh, actually go in from Zoom, uh, air, you know, basically call in from Zoom and do reports there. So um, we moved pretty quickly to separate the crowd and then we have enough space. Our building's huge here on Humboldt Street and we move people to different rooms. I am probably overly cavalier with this stuff. I definitely understand there is a huge risk. Um, but you know, when I first got into this job, I wanted to be a war correspondent. So I you wanted to be a what? I, a war correspondent.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, I thought, I thought you said I, you wanted to be a workhorse pundit. Uh, yeah, which Well, is something else entirely, but go ahead. Yes, go.
2: exactly. So, so anyway, I, you know, as far as a me thing, um, you know, I wanted to follow the rules and make sure we were doing everything according to guidance, but I really wasn't, all that afraid. Obviously, I have to keep my family in mind and everything like that.
1: By the way, I love that building. It's one of my favorite buildings. It's the 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 Art Deco ness, the uh, the actual thought about putting. Like, it's human size. It's 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 a it's built for human beings. And I just love walking through that building. Any chance I get, it is just such an awesome, awesome building.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting way to put it. I never thought about that, but you're right. It's it's very a lot of headroom, and I never feel. Claustrophobic, um, yeah, you know. yeah.
1: And I just wish you guys could do something with that old AM radio booth that's right there as you're walking down the hall. I would love to see that being used as some sort of like a museum piece. I, I, I would love to see that be almost like a, a, a historic place because you don't see buildings like that anymore. You really have, you really have a look at the history of broadcasting right there.
2: Yeah, and, and Penny, to your point, two things. One, it's what's amazing about this building when it was built in the 40s. They it was initially just a radio station, and if you fly over it, it's the shape of an old radio, which is why the main hallway has a bend to it. Uh, but the real tragedy, unfortunately, is what's sitting below me right now. Uh, all of the old film uh, from the 50s and 60s. Maureen McGuire doing a tremendous job trying to bring up some of the archival pieces, but and digitize them. But this is a massive job, and it's all getting so old and brittle and. Uh, I'm hoping in the near future, we can maybe apply for a grant and try and digitize all of it because in the next decade, maybe even less, it could all be lost.
1: So, yeah, then and, and you've been, you've been a newscaster and worked in news for what, 15 years now, 20 years?
2: Uh, 20, 99, uh, 2000. I. I covered the Bush v. Gore race in Syracuse.
1: Wow, that's amazing. So you've seen a lot of changes. I, I was in. I was about the same time, and then I fortunately got out of it. How much of what's happening now with the? No, seriously. I had family, and I was like a single parent, and I wanted to be home for my kids, so I had to get out of it. But um, and now I and I, every election day, I'm like, thank God, I'm not doing that anymore. Um, what, I'm sure you're like, oh my God, it's election day. Thank God, thank God. But for me, it's like I couldn't stand election day. But so that's you know, my, my, my temperament. But getting back to the question that I want to ask you, how much of what's happening now with the way things have changed because of the pandemic, even after the pandemic is gone, how much of this do you think is going to be normal? How much of this distant stuff do you think is going to be happening? Or there, It's not going to go back to what it was. Is there anything that, that, that you're learning is, yeah, this actually kind of works a little bit better for us?
2: Yeah, you know, I think that's the million dollar question, not just for our industry, but other industries, too. And I think the longer it goes on, the more comfortable people become with the distanced communication. At the same time, I'll note that after the Pfizer announcement yesterday, Zoom stock apparently tumbled. Um, So I I don't know. I I don't think it's lasted long enough where we're going to see giant changes in our industry. I think people still want face-to-face interactions. I think that you're going to see on stories where you're in a crunch and you're like, man, I got to turn two stories and I can only do that if I Zoom with someone in the past that would be frowned upon. I bet that we'll see a lot more Zoom interviews even after all this is over, which might not be a bad thing because then reporters can do more and not have to waste time driving out to you know, the, the hinterland within a market. So, but, but then again, I say that, and, and I think you brought up something that's making, I'm talking while thinking too, because you, you're making me think, Penny.
1: Sorry about um, that. I know you're as an anchor. I know you don't like doing that. You just like sit there <laughs> and the words news, come in front of you.
2: Yeah. A newsreader, please. If we get the title right.
1: <laughs> a news person or newsreader. Okay. Yes. You're a newsreader. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, I think there might be a benefit to getting out. So while I'm like, Oh, man, I don't want to drive all the way to Dansville for this, you know, me getting out there seeing the people being out in the community, there's probably a benefit to that. So I don't, to, to what Amy was saying before, I don't want to end up in my own little bubble. Like, I think it's important to get out there and see and experience things.
1: Amy, do you have a I mean, I kind of jumped on your question. Do you, you want to go back and do something? Have something? Well,
0: yeah, it, I, I want to, you know, we're kind of doing this postmortem on, we've kind of gone into this COVID and what life may look like afterwards, but I w- kind of want to bring it back to the postmortem on the election because we brought up absentee ballots. And if, and I and I pulled this off of the um, Pennsylvania website for their voting. I mean, 1.7 million absentee ballots were Democratic in the state and 625,000 were Republican. We talk about election and doing this postmortem, but we knew this was going to happen in this election cycle, that Trump was going to probably lead on election night. But because of the mail-in ballot situation, the counting had to happen. And so, you know, we look at media, and we look at everything else. I think I think the industry did a fantastic job overall. Maybe there's some fine points, but there, there's nothing surprising, I think, from these election results.
2: No, I will say, uh, to your point, Amy, someone has made this point, I 100% agree. If we didn't have the absentee ballot situation that we had, and we had more day of voting, the narrative would have been completely different in this case. You know, Joe Biden would have won, uh, it looks like he's going to win Georgia, as we're talking, by the way, his vote count went up to 12.5 thousand. Uh, which is a lot. And it's again, it's to your point that we had this red mirage in certain states. I think Florida uh, obviously still would have been a feather in uh, President Trump's cap. Uh, But if we had all of what we're seeing now on election night or Wednesday morning, I think the narrative would have been completely different. And the thing is, is, we knew this. Everyone was saying, watch out for the red mirage. But then I think we got caught up in it. We have 2016 fresh in our memory. And we see those needles on the New York Times webpage and we start going back to what we were, what we were uh, prepared for four years ago. But yeah, no, I think that, and that's why it's important to wait in this situation. And I think a lot of this is temporary. I can't imagine that in six months we're going to be, you know, the narrative that we were, we had in mind Wednesday morning is still going to be the prominent narrative of this election.
1: Absolutely. Um, and I think in a way the, the, uh, um, the, the the absentee ballots kind of was like a governor on the on the newscasts and and the, and that that stuff we talked about earlier about what did we learn you really couldn't make calls uh, on 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 the uh, on on the uh, on election night which is impossible which was horrible for me because I was like filled with dread for a good you know seventy two hours after that it month. is
2: it is interesting though Penny because what Amy was saying those who've been following Pennsylvania closely and they knew that there were that many absentee ballots out there, even though President Trump was ahead, what was it, five, 600,000 votes, you had people like Nate Silver, Dave Wasserman over a Cook Report, uh, Nate Cohn at New York Times, all these people who look at the numbers, to a person, they're, they're basically almost ready to call Pennsylvania for Biden that night, because they said that if Biden were down by less than 15%, he wins Pennsylvania. After election night. And they were right. He was down 12%. They were ready to call it on Wednesday when everybody else was losing their minds about okay.
1: Pennsylvania. Well, for me, small things are easily misplaced.
2: Yeah. No, you mentioned Nate Silver. That's where
0: I, that was, I thought was probably the most reliable feed of information was the five thirty eight live feed. That's where I went to a lot. And so, and I, they had, they had Georgia, Nevada, Arizona, Arizona, they were a little iffy on, but Pennsylvania and all those states pretty much saying this is going to be for Biden when it's all said and done, and he's going to end up with over 300 or 300 Electoral College votes. So the news sources had this. And so sorry, Penny, I just wanted to.
1: That's fine. Absolutely fine. So yeah, what I was what I was going to ask you, Adam, so like, you know, you are a mindless newsreader uh, professionally, but uh, outside of the studio, you are a human being with opinions and thoughts and feelings about things how do you separate those two things are, are there like you know when you want when, when you look at something and you feel this is this is an injustice and i i, I, I feel the need to speak out uh, of of an injustice do you feel limited in your ability to do that is that something that as a that as a newscaster you can even do
2: i would say i would say every once in a while i'll feel that drive but i think that the whole reason I got into this was because I wanted to inform people um, and to help people understand, to bridge sides of communication. And so you know, I think a lot of people get into this business for that very reason. And so my opinions take a very quick backseat to that. And they always have been because that's my main professional focus. And there's another reason too, which is that there's so many people putting out their opinions out there I don't want to just be another voice in the sea being like, well, I think this. And I think there has to be a segment of the population that suppresses that desire when it comes up for the greater good in their mind of being that vehicle for information, that that tie between the two sides. And to me, that is so unbelievably important in a democratic society that any time that little rise comes up, where I might want to send out my own opinion, it's so easily put aside because there's a greater good in my mind, in my mission. And so it it hasn't been all that hard, but clearly, like you said, I'm human, I have that desire, and there have been tweets that I've written and then deleted, uh, and I'm very happy that I have.
1: Yeah, and the other issue that we have to deal with is the fact that uh, with news wheels, the 24-hour news wheels, news has become entertainment And uh, which is a problem because what really is passing for news on a news channel is not. I I saw a statistic once about Fox where like 80 to 90 percent of what they do, they categorize as entertainment as opposed to actual newscasts. Yet it is on a channel that calls itself news. That's got to be hard for somebody like you who does recognize that there needs to be people who are who who are, you know, like I, I can't say that he is lying because I do not know intent. I do not wish to express it. You do not wish to express an opinion on the air about these things, unless you specifically say, okay, this is me expressing an opinion, which I've seen you do a couple of times.
2: Yeah, uh, and I and, try to segment that and say, look, this is this is very much different. Um, and even that I'm pretty careful with my language. I, I do, and, but when it comes to personalities, I try to let people know that like, oh, the media. I'm like, let's break that down. The media is a big word. It covers a lot of different things. So are you talking about commentators? Because commentators on Fox or MSNBC are just that. Chris Hayes is a commentator. He may, he may present truthful information, but he's a commentator, he has a, an opinion about things. So when people say, oh, how come how come this was covered here? I was like, look who covered it. Was it a commentator? Because they usually hold themselves to a lower standard than we do when it comes to what's gonna be verified and confirmed. So, and I, I do get angry with the people that try to blur those lines and try to pass themselves off as journalists when clearly they're not. And to me, that's the worst. If you're going to be a commentator, great, be a commentator. The, the most frustrating are the people who try to either present their outlet as a news outlet or themselves as a journalist when they have a true political agenda. And to me, that's, that's not commentator anymore, that's propagandist.
1: How did this election feel to you from a newscast? How, how, how exhausting was it compared to other elections? Or is it, are, are they all the same? Are they all just a blur to you?
2: So you know, I think it was exhausting more as an observer than a journalist because the, the local uh, stuff, that was exhausting in the, in the month prior. We had four debates that we held and I did four interviews the last week prior to the uh, election. Um, so that was exhausting, but once the numbers came in, we, like I said, we pretty much knew where the races were going. We haven't had a lot of post coverage that's been necessary for the local level. So the exhaustion has come just as a political junkie staying up till two, three in the morning, just watching Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona numbers come in and that's been ridiculous. So I've been trying to catch up on my sleep the last couple of days.
1: That's really a great thing. What are your favorite news sites?
2: Um, you know, I try, I do honestly try to like, look around, um, I I do the drudge report thing, you know, because they do aggregate a lot of interesting, um, articles and they do tend to be a little bit conservative there. So I like that, uh, wall street journal, again, to get a conservative side. Um, I'll look at Huffington post, but I know what, what drudge and Huffington are when I really need news, you know, I will go to New York times. I, I think Politico does a pretty decent job as well. The Hill, um, you know, and, and obviously the local stuff. I think the folks at the Democrat and Chronicle are doing a tremendous job as well. Uh, Rochesterfirst.com. Uh, um, <laughs> but, uh, but no, no, I think, you know, just the ones that a lot of people do. So I would say that New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, Drudge. Um, it's interesting. I, you know, the Fox News website, I watch Fox News a lot because it's right in front of me in the newsroom. But the website is, to me, a, a little bit more... Um, sensationalist than the program itself. Hmm. Um, And I'm talking about the news, I'm talking about Brett Bear and, and things like that. I, you know, they obviously have a little bit of a lean there, but you still get the news. And um, uh, but when you go to the website, I don't find much value in that.
1: Understandable. Amy, you got you, I I interrupted you there. Do you have a question for Mr. Chodak? (laughs)
0: I was just going to say, you know, just observation, I thought, you know, if anybody's going to call the race for Biden and it was Fox News, it must be real. So, you know, that's kind of where I was watching last week. And it was just kind of a weird vibe around town last week. I don't know if anybody else picked up on that, did you?
2: There have been some speculating that that was a really a Rupert Murdoch type thing where he had decided pretty early on that that the president was going to lose. And so he quickly shifted. And especially after the president had been bashing Fox uh, for a while, and then especially after Fox called Arizona, the president really took issue uh, with Fox. And I don't know if you remember the protesters outside of Maricopa County's election counting site, there were protesters basically shouting, you know, don't watch Fox News, Fox News is lying. whatever it is. And uh, so I have to wonder if that was a Rupert Murdoch, because it wasn't it was shortly thereafter that the New York post did a pretty critical piece on the president as well, which is also Rupert Murdoch's, um, paper.
1: Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting seeing this. I've heard, I've seen uh, so many different, uh, different, uh, takes about this. I was reading, uh, I get the New York times daily update on my, in my inbox and they are talking about how one of the reasons why, Uh, leading Republicans are not saying anything is because they know that Trump is going to be the voice of the Republican Party, whether he wins or loses. And I'm thinking, God, no, I hope not.
2: I don't think that's a guarantee. I think that's a line that some people are putting out there. I don't know where his power will rest when the dust settles on this, because I think part of his appeal was that he was winning. He was winning in the primary in 2016. He beat Hillary Clinton, and then he was president of the United States. If he doesn't have that, I think that there will be a certain segment of his base that will continue to support him. At the same time, I think that there will be some distraught Republicans who will look at him and say after again after President Biden, President elect Biden is in his place and everything like that. I wonder how many will be like, "Wait, this isn't what we wanted," and they might turn on him. And I'm going to I'm going to be very interested to see whether that happens.
1: Yeah. My when I was in my 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 master's degree, I got uh, one of the areas of interest that I worked on was South American political science. And this reminds me nothing more than the Peronistas uh, of of Argentina or the Juan Peron who there are still Peronistas out there who who followed that sort of populist uh, racist uh, fascist behavior. And I'm just wondering if we're seeing sort of like the American Peronistas here and that that will remain to be seen.
2: Yeah, all right, Penny, are you trying to get me to sing Don't Cry For Me, Argentina? I think that's what you're trying to it was. It was a
1: thought. It really was. I know, I've know. i seen you in the costume, and you, you pull it off really well.
2: That's terrible. Um, no, no, it is interesting. Um, yeah, no, the, the whole payroll, and uh, uh, there is going to be some loyalty to the person uh, here, without question, but the, the base that he had, as we've seen in this election, can only afford to lose so much, before it becomes ineffective Um, and if if him out of power means that he loses five percent of that that's detrimental to his cause now it might not be detrimental to a a tv gig or a tv outlet that that may still be but we're gonna have to see how all this plays out all i know is that um you know i i think that we're sitting here at the local level just kind of uh as more of an observer waiting until a lot of these lawsuits get you know meet their doom if you will
1: yeah well i'm hoping that he's the uh the main fear and survivor san quentin quite frankly um we'll see that yeah we'll we'll never that that to me is you know personally what i want i know as a as an impartial uh newsreader as you are uh no you you can't say anything about this but uh personally well i mean
2: look my My goal, when it comes to anything criminal, it's, you know, I do have to take the innocent until proven guilty. That's why even when we have a murder case where the person was standing over the person with the gun, until that conviction comes in, it's that person is accused of. And there isn't even um, at this point a criminal indictment. Uh, There might be. And when that happens, we'll follow the same protocol that we follow with local criminal cases if it comes to that.
1: that is as admirable as it is frustrating, Adam.
2: I know, I know i we frustrate a lot of people in our business
1: congratulations and you're doing your job well adam thank you so much for spending time with us talking with us today about this it's been really a it's really been a treat i mean you i you actually interviewed me once and so it's just me returning the favor um because i know i'm just as important i'm like you know i'm kind of a big deal i don't know if you know that about me or not but uh
2: no no You did me the favor when you let me interview you, because I think that the goal, as I said in the very outset of this, uh, at the very outset, is that it's to bridge people's understandings. And I think you just being you and telling your story as a person, I think, does more than any type of political argument out there when it comes to LGBTQ and where we should go in the future.
1: I wasn't fishing for that, but I'm really glad you said it. It's true, though. Adam, thank you so much, (laughs) Amy. (laughs) Oh my God! All right, well, that's going to be it for this segment. Adam, thank you very much for being here, and we'll be right back with uh, with our final thoughts. This is Transformation Thursday. to
0: financially support Transformation Thursday, go to TransformationThursday.com, and that will bring you to our Patreon page. Once there, click on the Become a Patron button. You can also follow us online on Facebook. You can follow us by searching for Transformation Thursday Podcast, and please join our private Facebook group by searching Transformation Thursday on Facebook. On Twitter and Instagram, you can follow us at Trans Pod. To make sure you stay up to date with all the latest episodes, please subscribe to the Transformation Thursday Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google podcast or wherever you get your podcasts on apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star rating and a short review it's free and it does help get transformation thursday out to a larger audience finally transformation thursday is copyrighted material all rights reserved 2020. welcome back transformation thursday i am amy stevens and my pronouns
1: are she her and i am penny sterling and my pronouns are she her and i want to thank adam chodak once again for spending some time with us on Uh, What has definitely been a very busy news cycle for him all around. It was great to hear him and hear his perspective on things. And, uh, you know, he is a very he has a very measured tone about everything, which, you know, as someone who's been in the news business for 20 years, he has to do that. And sometimes I find it very frustrating uh, to to have to, to hear newscasters not say, hey, this guy's a fucking asshole, but I can understand why. But it was very interesting hearing him talk about that and break down both the national and local news uh, and the way we are covering things. It was it was very helpful for me uh, to to hear that.
0: Yeah, I think what I take away from this is similar to you, you know. And I referenced this last week in our episode about me having to bracket out my personal feelings on things, and that's the same thing in the media. A lot of times, you know, these wonderful people are out there just trying to find truth to prevent it, to present a story. And, and and they keep doing this work in the face of this mounting hostility towards them. And so, you know, but, you know, you and I and Adam both have these backgrounds in broadcasting. My undergraduates in radio, TV, film. I was trained in radio, television, broadcasting. I've done news reporting as well. And it's how do we take ourselves out of it and leave the least amount of us in the story so that way we can eliminate as much bias as possible? Now it's not always 100 percent possible but that's
1: the goal yeah well maybe that'd be your goal for me I'm, i'm 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 all for inserting me in any as many situations as possible
0: well definitely when it comes to your storytelling podcast comedy and anything else yeah i mean i have no issue with that but i i really think my big takeaway from this is as much as you know media outlets and especially pollsters want to beat themselves up you know, I think the biggest challenge for them right now, and Adam alluded to this and it's kind of come up in the last week since the election is, you know, with the amount of cell phones and the level of hostility towards the polls and the media is, I don't know if they could have done a better job in this environment to predict the election.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad that they actually did the page. It was like damn frustrating, I'm sure for you as as well as for me. You know, we're hearing like we, we I, I hear about this. The, 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 the red, what was it the red mist or the red veil or whatever it was called? Yeah, but living through it was, quite frankly, hell.
0: Yeah, and last week was a weird week around here. You know, I you know I work at a local Starbucks, and it was a weird vibe, you know, going, you know, all the way through Saturday. So, you know, it's just a strange time in a, in a strange year.
1: Yeah, and I just want to, you know, Adam was talking about me because Adam and I have a history with... with uh we've done a bunch of we we sat next to each other at the emmys one time uh <laughs> humble bragging that's what that is but yeah amy you are you are you are a great comedian in your own right and what you're doing to to work with transgender children the work you're doing and going to get your master and perhaps even your doctorate in uh in, in therapy is, is just, I'm, I'm very honored that we do a podcast together and you are a vital voice as vital a voice as I am. And I, and I, you know, for whatever reason, I, maybe it's just because I, I talk so damn much. Uh, it feels like I, I, I get, I, I seem to get a little bit more focus in the, in the Rochester area than anybody else. And it's not deserved. You're you, there are so many other people who are doing yeoman's work, more work than I am quite frankly in this. And I just want to, no. just want to acknowledge well, that. Well, thank
0: you. And I, and I, you know, and, it's not that I want to be in the news stories or anything else. You know, we, we, you and I spoke privately about this yesterday, and I think it's worth sharing here. So I, I would like to see other voices be in that spotlight more than you. And it's not nothing against you. And I don't want the spotlight. I want to hear non binary voices. I want to hear trans men voices talking and representing our community. I don't think my voice is needed as, you know, as a, trans woman in this society you've done you've filled that role very well I, I think we need to have more representation from other people in our community beyond those that look like us
1: yeah I filled the niche for the old white trans woman there's other there's other people and I do I I, I do my best to recommend other people to to talk to about these things but as far as talking no I know you go ahead yeah I was
0: just going I was just gonna say I know you do and I just think that you know we need to hear from other communities especially trans people of color. Their their voices need to be heard.
1: I'm doing a Jay Smyers Crosby thing. I'm snapping my fingers. That's what he does whenever somebody says something cool. (laughs) Anyhow, (laughs) hey, yeah, you're much better at it than I am. So there. Finally got it.
0: I can only do it with my left hand. I can only do it with my left hand, though.
1: I'm not going to touch that. I'm not going to touch your left hand now. Absolutely not. Okay. It's been a really great, another great episode of Transformation Thursday. We'll be back next week with uh, more interesting stuff. So for now, I'm I'm done talking. Good night, Amy.
0: Good night, Penny. Good night, everyone. We love you.